1: Tonight on Huckabee, Trump's impeachment with lawyer Alwyn Dershowitz. Brandon Strzok faces Big tech Giants. Stallone, Frank Stallone that is. And Don McLean celebrates 50 years of American pie. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection.
2: Thank you very much. Welcome to our show. We've got a great studio audience here. Even in the days of COVID, we're still able to have a few folks come and be with us. And we hope you'll join us real soon. Wear your mask, socially distance, but come, we have a great time. Well, in just a few days, Joe Biden is gonna be sworn in as president after the most controversial, contested, and crooked election in our history. Now, just to make sure, that none of the 74 million Americans who voted for President Trump forget how much they hate him and us. Democrats in Washington impeach the president for a historic second time. This time, they use the phony excuse that he is responsible for the awful and inexcusable criminal assault on our Capitol by a group of anarchists who made up a very small number of the tens of thousands of people who attended a rally earlier in the day. Most of the people there were unaware that anything had even happened until they got back to their homes or hotels and saw it on the news. Now, while President Trump could have and maybe should have spoken sooner and more forcefully to denounce the riot, I've carefully read and listened to his entire speech that day. And to say that he caused it, it's ludicrous. But don't take my word for it. The most distinguished constitutional scholars of our land who neither supported nor voted for Donald Trump have dismissed allegations of President Trump having incited a riot as nonsense. But Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and the angry mob of congressional Democrats decided that impeaching Donald Trump in the hours before he leaves office will somehow be good for the country. Now, these are the same Democrats who joined with the media all last summer in actually defending and supporting the rioting and looting of American cities and the deadly assaults on police officers all across the land.
3: What you're seeing behind me is one of multiple locations that have been burning in Kenosha, Wisconsin. I don't care that much about statues.
2: Shouldn't that be
4: done by a, respectfully, shouldn't that be done by a commission or the city council, not a mob in the middle of the night throwing it into the harbor? will do what they do. And please... Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. I want
5: to be clear in how I characterize this. This is
2: mostly a protest. Uh, it uh, It is not, generally speaking, unruly. There's a fire going on behind you, dude. Don't know if you missed that or not. Look, no matter how many times I see those clips, I still have a hard time believing my ears. Meanwhile, conservatives condemned the lawless anarchy in our streets then and equally and forcefully condemned it when it happened in DC on January the 6th there should be no double standards but the left in america has gone way beyond a double standard they have no standards just emotional outrage hate and blind bigotry toward everyone who won't surrender to their iron fist the second phony impeachment is being done without Any evidence presented, no hearing, no witnesses, certainly no due process. You thought about this, serial killers like Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer were given more due process than President Trump. And when a mob, whether it's rioters or members of Congress, and the media deny judicial process and rush straight to a verdict and sentencing, it's not justice. This is one mob reacting to another mob. And that is the logic of a lynching. I sure wish that members of Congress were as concerned about the destruction of the places of business owned by law-abiding citizens in Seattle, Portland, Minneapolis, New York, or Los Angeles, as they were by the destruction of where they do their business. And soon, yes, it'll be President Biden. He continues to claim that he wants healing and unity. But is that what he expects will result from the condescending rage directed toward the half of America who voted for President Trump? Look, I'd love to see the country come together and act like America again. But I'm not gonna march willingly behind those who truly believe that voices like mine ought to be closed off from social media, are kept from employment, are freely harassed in restaurants, shopping centers, or public places. So if Joe Biden wants to unify the country to respect the rule of law for all, stop big tech from crushing competitors and conservatives and move toward ending poverty, build some roads, stand up to China and take care of our military and our vets. If you do that, I'm all in. But if you keep your pledge to push abortion even to the moment of birth, and want taxpayers to fund the folly of letting seven-year-old kids surgically change their gender, open the borders of our country with no controls, punish work by taxing the people who have jobs to redistribute their money to those who refuse to work, and then force churches and faith-based colleges and organizations to surrender to views that violate the teachings of the Bible, then count me out. That's not asking for my cooperation. That's asking for my surrender to an agenda that's antithetical to my faith, my family, and my freedom. And that's not a call for unity, but uniformity. It's not asking me for tolerance, but obedience. And it's not a call for healing, but for more hurt and hate. And to that, I'm pretty sure I speak for many of the 74 million Americans who will respectfully say, no thanks. This week, the House voted to impeach President Trump a second time, making him the only president in American history to have been impeached twice. My next guest represented the president during the first impeachment, and he might do it again. But it's not because he's a Trump supporter or even a Republican, because he's neither one. It's because he believes in the Constitution, and he believes a legal system that treats everyone equally, even a president. Please welcome Harvard Law Professor Emeritus Alan Dershowitz. Professor, uh, did anything the president say in his speech on January 6th incite a riot?
3: Certainly not, and certainly it doesn't constitute an impeachable offense. Uh, It was completely protected by the Constitution. It was pablum compared to what uh, Brandenburg, uh, the man who was uh, convicted in Brandenburg versus Ohio, and a unanimous Supreme Court reversed his conviction. It was pablum compared to what civil rights leaders and suffragettes and labor leaders and radicals and people of all stripes do when they go to the to Washington. They say, "Go to the Senate, confront them, get in their face, show them how strong we are. Don't back down." Those are fighting words, and fighting words are part of political rhetoric, protected by the Constitution. So the other thing the Congress did on the day it It broke its record by impeaching somebody twice. It also broke its own record by violating the Constitution on six different occasions, six different clauses of the Constitution in one day. It violated the First Amendment. It violated the impeachment criteria under the Constitution. It violated the Bill of Attainder Clause by saying he could be put on trial as a private citizen after he leaves. It violated due process by not giving him an opportunity and his lawyers an opportunity on and on and on to have broken that record of so many constitutional violations in one day. For what? In order to end the presidency a few days earlier and leave us with a legacy of a broken constitution? It's just not the right thing to do.
2: I've heard you mention that this is going to lead to uh, every party out of power using impeachment as a process just to gig the other side. And true to form, uh, a Republican legislator introduced articles of impeachment uh, on Kamala Harris uh, just this week. So I guess we're already seeing what you prophesied. Didn't know you were a prophet, but
3: there you are, a professor and a prophet. Oh, you know, the Talmud says that the prophecy ended with the destruction of the second temple, and he who tries to prophesy is either a fool or a name, and I hope I'm neither, but I, I look, it's going to become... look. If you were to announce that you want to run for president in 2024, you'd be a very strong candidate. The Democrat-controlled House and Senate could impeach you, a private citizen, in order to stop you from running. It has turned impeachment into a weaponized, political, normal thing to be used politically instead of an extraordinary measure to remove a president who's committed treason, bribery, other high crimes and misdemeanors. It's so in violation of the framers' intent. It's what Hamilton called the most dangerous thing to allow impeachment to go forward simply because you have the votes to do it. And that's exactly what the Democrats did.
2: Uh, Let me assure you that I will not be running in 2024 or any other year. I'm done running. I've been there, done that. Uh, So we're going to let somebody else experience that joy
3: troubling to well, me. Well, you're only saying this because you don't want to get impeached. That's all. You're only, you know, that your Sherman statement yes. is not credible. It's it's only because you don't want to be impeached. You'd be a great president. I'll,
2: I'll say what uh, Abraham Lincoln said about being run out of town on a rail. If it weren't for the honor of it, I'd just soon pass. Uh, what is troubling most to me, <laughs> Professor, is that there was no due process. Uh, it's one thing to say, we're going right. to charge someone. We're going to uh, present the evidence against them but then we're gonna give them a defense. In this case, the House rushed to a process which they did not give him a defense, nor did they produce any evidence. As a constitutional law perspective, uh, from your vantage point, why should every American, even the people who hate Donald Trump, be concerned about that precedent?
3: Because what they did to Donald Trump today, they can do to a Democrat tomorrow, and they can do to you the day after Mm -hmm. tomorrow. If Congress claims the authority to put private citizens on trial, we go back to the pre-revolutionary British system where Parliament tried people, and that was called a bill of attainder. And the framers of the Constitution explicitly prohibited Congress from passing bills of attainder, which means Congress has no jurisdiction to try people who are not currently In office. And even if they start the trial while he's still in office, the minute he leaves, 12 o'clock noon, January 20th, the Senate loses all jurisdiction over him as a private citizen. And if they claim jurisdiction over him, they're going to claim jurisdiction over you. It's McCarthyism all over again, but McCarthyism of the left rather than the right, the McCarthyism that I grew up with and fought against in the 1950s.
2: You were a part of the legal team that defended him in the first impeachment. Do you expect that if this thing does actually end up in the Senate and go to trial, as they impeach a private citizen, will you be on that legal team again?
3: I think it would be a mistake to have the president present a substantive defense in front of the Senate. I think his best approach would be to deny the power of the Senate to try him and to take the case to court rather than to have him subjected to a partisan or even a bipartisan vote in the United States Senate. So I don't see any room for a lawyer. Lawyer had no role to play during the impeachment. Nobody called on any lawyer to defend the president. And I don't think a lawyer has a real role to play. This is political theater and I'm neither a politician nor an actor. So I don't really wanna participate in a show trial. I think the challenge should be made in the courts against the power of the Senate to put on trial an ordinary citizen. Some have suggested that the
2: reason that uh, Nancy Pelosi has pushed for this and the Democrats have gone along is that they wanna somehow disqualify President Trump from running again in 2024. Is is that a legitimate argument? Mm -hmm. Would would they in fact disqualify him? How do you disqualify somebody uh, from running if he hasn't been convicted of criminal activity?
3: No, and you can't do that. The text of the Constitution is clear. Judgment in cases of impeachment shall not extend further than to removal from office and, and disqualification. In other words, if you remove him from office, then you can disqualify him, but you can't just disqualify him. The word and is in the conjunctive, not the disjunctive. It doesn't say that you can remove him from office or disqualify him. It comes together, and if he's not in office, you can't disqualify him. The Senate has no role in picking candidates for future office. That's not their function. Their function is to remove a president who has explicitly violated the four criteria in the Constitution. Treason, bribery, other high crimes, and misdemeanors. And President Trump doesn't fit into any of those qualifications. So impeachment is improper, and certainly... Simply putting him on trial to disqualify him is a classic bill of attainder. A classic bill of attainder, according to the Supreme Court of the United States.
2: Professor, you always uh, uh, impress me. Uh, I, I only would have said, just for you, I might have gone to law school. Thank you so much for being with us. It is uh, a, wish you had. a delight Good. to have you here. And you can follow Professor Dershowitz on Twitter, for now at least, at Alan Dersh and take a listen to the Der Show podcast. That way you can get Alan's thoughts on current events. Keith Bilbrey is about to break some news by telling us what's next on the show.
1: Well, coming up, walk away campaigns, Brandon Strzok and later rock and roll legend, Don McLean. Don't go away.
2: Welcome back. Brandon Struck was a lifelong Democrat who decided in 2017 that he just didn't like what the party was turning into and he couldn't stay silent about it anymore. So his walkaway group had more than 500,000 supporters on Facebook alone. Well, that is until last week when the page was blocked from the social media network. Along with many other conservative voices, removing the testimonials of thousands of people who were equally fed up with the media and the leftist propaganda. So, to talk with us about what he's doing about this wave of censorship, Brandon Strzok. Brandon, welcome back. It's hey, thanks for having me. Good to be back.
6: You were Thank first you. with us when you just really had launched the walkaway movement. Yes. And it grew like crazy. Yes. And uh, it may shock you, but we actually doubled in size over 2020. This amazing thing happens when you shut down the economy, when you prevent people from being able to work, when you allow people to go out and riot and smash windows and burn neighborhoods. People don't like it. They really don't, do Yeah, it's weird. And uh, so uh, hundreds of thousands of more people joined our group just in 2020 alone. I have so admired what
2: you're doing because you, you've taken a big risk, personally and professionally, because a lot of people were really, really mad at you because you had the audacity to say, hey, there's something not quite right about the left's agenda. Right. Uh, and and I, I thought it was brilliant. You said, I'm walking away.
6: Yes. I'm going to be my own person. Think for myself. Well, a lot of those people are celebrating now that you know we're, that I'm being deplatformed or that I'm being silenced in a way. And it's a very peculiar time, I think, that we live in when people allow their hatred for somebody based off of a, a, a different political ideology to infringe upon our freedoms. Yeah. That it's like, do you, what, what means more to you, hating me <laughs> or having the freedom of speech in wow. this country? Because I don't want to shut anyone down. Even the people who are celebrating me being shut down, I will fight for their right to speak. See, because I think everyone should be able to speak I in this country. I think that's
2: exactly what America's supposed to be about. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. So... Walk us through what happened. You're moving along with your organization. You're getting thousands and thousands of people who agree with you and become part of it. Then what happens all of a sudden?
6: Well, last week I woke up and one of my employees called me and she said, "Uh, the group is down and I've been banned from Facebook. I thought, huh? So I tried to get on Facebook myself and discovered I was banned. Almost simultaneously, my phone started blowing up with text messages and phone calls from employees, volunteers, all saying, we've been banned from Facebook. What's going on? So we've still gotten no explanation as to what it is that we did or what the offensive post was or anything like that. We've gotten no um, explanation whatsoever, but they banned me, they banned my employees, they banned my volunteers. And I want to make clear, some of these people are just contractors. Now, this may be hard for some people to remember, but there used to be a time when, you know, people just did their job and they didn't ask, who did you vote for before deciding whether or not they'd work with you? Well, there's still people like that in the world. So, I mean, I have videographers, I have merch managers, people who i 'm just one of many of their clients they 've been banned so they now can't do business with their other clients on Facebook just because of their association with me
2: see that is like second degree punishment of people who have nothing to do with you but they may I not don't even think be trump supporters yeah but i don't even think you should be banned and all your the people and no word from Facebook as to why
6: no're we're, t- we're going through many different avenues to try to get through to somebody and that's one really nice thing is when you build up a platform, as I have, and people know who you are, there's a lot of people willing to reach out and help. And so I'm very grateful that many, many people are, are currently trying to get us in the door to talk to somebody who might be willing to help us. But, you, you know, there's hundreds of thousands or more people who don't have that uh, that privilege like I sure. have. And yeah. they're just banned and that's all there is.
2: You know, we hear... Uh members of the House and the Senate, and they have hearings. We have a lot of hearings uh-huh. with Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey of Twitter and different ones who come in and they act like, oh yeah, we're, we're trying to be more fair-minded. Nothing happens. Right? Have you had any contact with any member of Congress over this?
6: Well, I have reached out to them, especially the ones who virtue signal constantly that this is a very important issue to them, mm-hmm. that, uh, th- that they're doing everything that they possibly can to make a change. None of them have responded to me. And some of them are even Congress people that I've met personally. I've shaken yeah. their hands. They said, I love what you're doing. Well, I've been deplatformed and, and none of these people are reaching out to try to help me. And I think that doesn't it sometimes just feel like theater, like we're just watching theater. It's like nothing actually changes. Yeah. We're just watching a soap opera and then nothing actually changes
2: and, and the same thing, what we're watching is the destruction of free speech the destruction of the idea of an open forum where people can express themselves mm-hmm. you know if there's something that you say i don't like i mean the best thing in the world is to let me have my own soapbox and i say it let the people decide whether they like what you said or what i said that's the way America is supposed to work, not shutting down the voice. It doesn't agree with the, the dominant left. It owns the platform.
6: Well, this is what I don't understand. Number one, why would anyone want to exist in a monolithic system where there's only one party, one voice, one accepted uh, narrative that we're all su- supposed to subscribe Sounds like to? China, doesn't it? Right, it does. But, you know, I, just three, four years ago, I was a diehard liberal. I was a Hillary Clinton supporter. And through conversation, through debate, through research, I have completely changed my mind. Mm. And I'm so glad I did. What if we existed in a system where I couldn't do that? What if I wasn't allowed to hear other ideas that completely changed my mind? I don't want to live in that country.
2: But what do you do to be able to communicate? If you don't have Facebook, which has been your primary platform to communicate with the walkaway crowd, where do you go? What what can you now do, and where can people find you?
6: Well, they didn't just take us down on Facebook. Within the next two days, they also uh, canceled us, our, so, our uh, email platform, so we can't email our base. Mm. And they also, we've been suspended from our fundraising platform pending an investigation if we're a violent organization. An investigation of what? They won't tell us. They won't tell us. I do not know. Um, but... So in the meantime, what we're doing is we're trying to uh, connect with more conservative-minded platforms that are not going to discriminate against us and are not going to cancel us for having uh, our own opinions and our own point of view. Um, And what I'm really telling conservatives right now is the time is over for us just whining and moaning about being second-class citizens on these leftist platforms. I liken it to an abusive relationship. Mm. We have stayed in this abusive relationship for years and years and allowed them to have all the cards and all of the control. It's not going to be an easy process, but we must, I think, kind of channel the spirit of the pioneers who built this country. And it's time for conservatives to build up our own social media platforms, our own uh, emailing platforms, our own fundraising platforms. We have to become completely autonomous. We have to become completely self-reliant and no longer be in a position to allow these people to push us around.
2: Are, Are you seeing more and more people who have been on the left who are waking up and realizing that they're being stifled and that their views are not being respected.
6: What the left is doing right now in this mass tech purge is going to backfire spectacularly. Mm. If I had a group right now, we'd be up to a million followers Mm. because this is going to wake so many people up. And if I may quickly say, for people who want to continue to support the work that we're doing, go to walkawaycampaign.com and, you know, just follow us, donate, do whatever you can because we're going to rebuild from the ground up bigger and better than ever before.
2: Brandon, I respect you more than I can possibly express. It is an honor to have you back. Thank you. Love being back. We'll be keeping up with what's going on. Thank you, well, for now, you can still follow Brandon on Twitter. We don't know how long that's going to last. <laughs> and if you want to keep up with Walkaway, Away, uh, you can find their group on Clout Hub. Also, sign up for updates at walkawaycampaign.com. That's walkawaycampaign.com.
1: Next, film star Frank Stallone. Later, I am second author Doug Bender. Plus, we celebrate 50 years of Don McLean's American Pie on Huckabee. huckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at gov Mike huckabee on twitter
2: there is a new award-winning documentary about a singer songwriter and actor who has been in 77 movies and tv shows He has had multiple platinum and gold records and a top 10 hit He's also been nominated for a Grammy and a Golden Globe. But he's still constantly compared to his brother. Here's a sneak peek at Stallone. Frank,
5: that is. I get a call in 1975 from my brother. My brother had moved to California. He is starting a little movie called Rocky and says, I need a song why he called me because there was no budget i remember just sitting there going on my guitar just figuring something out and eventually I, i wrote the song ladies and gentlemen would you please welcome frank stallone What an honor to have you here. Well, I'm very happy to be here. I love Nashville, and this was a wonderful thing to do. I think you may be one of the most
2: versatile entertainers I've ever met, because I've seen you act my favorite film. Tombstone? Tombstone. Yeah. You know, people don't probably even realize. No,
5: I never get recognized, because I only did, out of 77 movies, I did two movies I wore a mustache, Tombstone (laughs) and Barfly, and had the same name, Eddie. (laughs) <laughs> so, but people go. People go you were Tombstone, yeah. But I, of course, I had a handlebar mustache. You know. So you know,
2: I, I've seen that clip a gazillion times because I love the movie. Oh, Val Kilmer and I. Yeah, know.
5: what a great, great. But I film. guess I actually live. So if they ever do Tombstone 2, <laughs> the only two left are Kurt Russell and myself. Yeah, you know? you know, all the others have dotted oh, the okay. Gone. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Every but tombstone. you know,
2: you also the opening song to Rocky, "Take Me Back." Yes, you
5: wrote it. Mm-hmm. You sang it. Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people say, "Oh." That's the guy that did that. That's what this whole movie, Stallone, Frank, that is, is about. Now, why I named it Stallone, Frank, <laughs> that is, with the big <laughs> thing and little Frank, yeah. because I did a, I've did done 77 movies. 60 of them are lousy. <laughs> <They're> cheap, <laughs> cheap, you know. That's honesty. It was like, <laughs> uh, we can't afford 20 million, but 20,000, we'll get Frank. <laughs> so I did these movies. And I knew what they were going to do. I played along with the game. And they go, so when the movie would come out in VHS, uh-huh. the, the whole top of it would be like this Stallone. <laughs> so people come in and go, wow, lester yeah. has got a new movie. And then they go, oh, Frank, that, oh, all right.
0: <laughs> so I did a movie with Christopher Mitchum,
5: Robert, Robert Mitchum's son. The big Savage Harbor, Stallone, Mitchum, they're back, <laughs> Frank and Chris. So, called, I bet it sold some movies. Yeah. Out of curiosity, they're probably saying, you know, I've done some movies that are so bad that they're actually brilliant, because no one's going to consciously go out of their way to make a movie that horrible. You
2: know, you know you're also, though, a, a true world-class musician. Oh, thank you. No, I mean, I, I've seen so much of the stuff you've done musically, and... Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, obviously that is a
5: real part of who you are. That's more who I am. I mean, I've done the movies, but basically I learned on the job. In other words, I didn't go to Juilliard or the Royal yeah. Academy, you know. <laughs> I barely got out of high school. So, I mean, so basically I learned <clears throat> on, on the job. I mean, I was always a ham anyway, but I learned to act on the job. But I, I would consider myself more, more or less a singer-songwriter musician. Now, in the
2: film, uh, Stallone, Frank, that yeah. is, which is a Wonderful documentary people can get. Nice. Uh, your brother is a part of it, and he talks about that yeah. relationship with you. Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger is in it. Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, a lot of very famous celebrities. Yeah, some it. Danny Aiello, yeah. uh, Guns N' Roses, Hall Notes, uh Bon Jovi, Richie from Bon Jovi. So a lot of people I've grown up with. Now, I, people go, so what made you want to do a documentary? So I go, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I did not want, they, they <laughs> came to me. It wasn't like, hey, you know what? My career's in the toilet. I'll make a documentary of myself. So So it wasn't like that. It was like, you know, so these young filmmakers from Texas came to me and go, Frank, I tell you, we like to do documentaries. I go, really? You know, because this i have been beat up so bad for 45 years. I was like, really? What else? So I gave them all the names of the people I'd known. Yeah. And they went out. I was not at any of the interviews because I wanted to be surprised. Now, some people would say, ah, he was a creep back then, you know, whatever. So all of a sudden, I go to see the screening of it, and I'm like, I had a a legal pad, and I'm going to redline this thing. (laughs) I don't like my hair in that shot. I never like my hair in any shots. All of a sudden, I'm watching this movie, and I totally, almost like elevated, got out of myself, and... Like, I was watching a movie, because I'm not really talking, I'm, everyone else is talking about me, and, and I'm put in there, here and there, you know? Yeah. And <laughs> I never thought, my, my brother, he comes up, he says, you know, he goes, my brother Frank's as good as I am, everywhere as good as I am at what I try to do. And he's never said that to me. That's pretty cool, considering That's pretty his, cool. For his career. It's even better that it's on film. You can capture it forever. Absolutely. So I can always hold him to it. <laughs> You know, the funny thing is, like, when people ask me about how Staying Alive came about, how I got the music in it, very quick, I went to the Paramount lot. I would heard from third person that my brother's directing the sequel to Saturday Night yeah. Fever. The Bee Gees had a falling out. They left the movie. My, so I already submitted 11 songs and got them all rejected. So my brother has two tones when he calls. There's one that he's, he's mad at me, I did something. <laughs> and the other one is he wants something. So this the, what, usually he's like, all right, Frank. This one was like hey, brother. I said, oh, here we go. <laughs> he goes, you remember those songs you wrote? I go, of course I remember them. You rejected them. I worked hard on it. He goes, but listen, I'm going to have lunch at John Travolta's tomorrow because John's depressed. I go, you mean John's depressed? Really? I'm in a $90 apartment. <laughs> he's in a $4 million home depressed, right? So I go over there with a cassette and he goes like this. So he's sitting there talking. John's got a long face. And I'm kind of sitting in between and I'm laughing because it's like Barbarino from Welcome Back Cotter talking to Rocky. <laughs> right? So all of a sudden he goes, uh, and of course my brother, I love, but he goes, yeah, I just want to play some of his music I found. I goes, really? <laughs> okay. So he puts the cassette in and all of a sudden John's eating and, uh, and all of a sudden he's starting to go, wow, that's great. Wow, that's really cool. And he's listening to the whole song. I'm literally having a coronary attack because I've been rejected 45 years. All of a sudden, it's like John Travolta is liking my music, and this is the sequel to Saturday Night Fever. And then he said to my brother, he goes, it's great, man, who wrote that? He points at me like I'm Fredo from Godfather Two. He goes, (laughs) Frankie, and John went, Frankie? Like I was like the court jester. And from the grace of God, and I believe it was a divine intervention... I ended up with nine songs in the movie, got nominated for a Grammy, Golden Globe, and it was pretty good. And I I might say it's over. It's really, really good. All of that
2: is in the documentary. Everyone needs to get a chance to see it. It's called Stallone. Frank, that is. Hey, Keith, would you please tell our viewers how they can see this terrific film and find the great music of Frank Stallone? Well, Stallone, Frank, that is, is available now for pre-order. You can learn more about
1: the documentary, as well as Frank's albums, live concert dates, and more by visiting frankstallone.com. And after the show, go to Huckabee.tv for an exclusive online performance of I'm Never Gonna Give You Up by Frank Stallone with Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Here's a sneak peek. Never, Never gonna
5: give you up for someone else's love the one I love Oh, Oh, tonight Tonight
2: Welcome back. Hey, how about a hand of appreciation for the best band in Nashville and the country, Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Well, we are finally seeing a little light at the end of a long COVID tunnel, and we're all wanting to travel again as soon as possible. Now, I hope you'll go with me this fall to trace the steps of the Apostle Paul on a Mediterranean cruise. I promise our ship is far nicer than the one Paul had. That I promise. And the trip is gonna be from October the 24th through November the 2nd. We've got the entire luxury ship to ourselves. It's gonna be an inspirational and relaxing experience. Great Bible teaching and outstanding entertainment all along the way. If you're interested in going, go to thegreatesttrip.com. That's thegreatesttrip.com. Get details and sign up while space is still available. My next guest, well, he's the chief content writer for I Am Second. That's the great video website that is just filled with stories of faith and inspiration. He's got a brand new book and it's called I Found Love. And it offers stories of prominent people who overcame devastating setbacks through the power of faith. Would you please welcome Doug Bender. Doug, welcome, good to have you. Thank you, good to be here. I'm I'm looking through the book I found love, and I found a lot of people that have been on this show telling their stories. Yeah, it's a small world. Well, it is, but you have enlarged it by helping to give the stories of these people and their relationships a voice. How did you come up with the idea of just getting a number of couples, most of whom are pretty well-known and prominent, to tell their stories?
7: Yeah, well, the thing is, we all have a story um, we, you don't always get to hear people's stories, but if you take the moments to, that it takes to listen, they all have great stories. So when we ran across these folks and heard their stories, we just said, we've got to get them out there. Um, a lot of these folks, people would know, some some perhaps not, but all of them have just really powerful stories.
2: One of them uh, that, that really struck my attention, David and uh, Tamil Man were with hmm. us. And what a great couple. Oh, my soul. They they were fun and they were funny. But they also had a very powerful story of their own relationship. And and, and it was God that brought them through some tough times. Yeah, if you
7: you were to meet them, you would never imagine that they come from a pretty hard background. Yeah. Because they're just filled with joy and love and just their own relationship. You just say, I want whatever you guys have. Mm. I want to drink that. Yeah. But... um, so we were able to really get that story down because I feel like you've got to tell, how is it you found that love? Because it really is remarkable.
2: Well, I think their story particularly touched me because of its candor. Yeah. You know, they, they had some real tough times. He messed up. Yeah. He openly talks about how he violated his vows to his wife and, and uh, how she learned to forgive him. And, it, mm. it, you know, it wasn't just an instant, oh, yeah, that's fine, everything's <laughs> okay. <laughs> It was a long, hard process, and that's what people need to hear. There yeah. is hope, but it doesn't mean it's easy. Well, yeah. and I think
7: that's, that's part of what hope means, though. Hope means things right now are not as they should be. If they were as they should be, we wouldn't need hope. We'd mm. already have it. Ooh, well said. And I think that's the power of, of telling these stories because they're, they're pretty messy stories. All of these, uh, we're not telling very clean stories in the sense that these are all people that have a lot of issues yeah. because they're people. Um, and and that's why we, we want to keep that in there instead of cleaning it up and saying hey these are wonderful perfect people
2: I, I'm intrigued with the title I found love mm-hmm. not love found me but I found love it, it almost implies that there is a process and that people have to put a little into it
7: yeah you know I think everybody looks for love with through different avenues and and they don't always know I think that that's what they're searching for I mean they'll, they'll look for money but really what they're hoping for is that that will give them love or they'll look mm. for success but what they really think that'll do is get people to like them. And I think at the end of it all, what they're all really looking for is love. And thankfully God is good enough to, to come out and, and tell us about it sometimes when, we,
2: when we're not even knowing that's what we're looking for. One of the couples you uh, profile, Carrie Underwood and Mike Fisher, he's probably one of the biggest stars in the hockey world, yeah. has been, he's retired now from hockey. Uh, Carrie Underwood, one of the biggest stars in the music business. That alone has to be a very challenging relationship because they Mm. have their fan base. They have their celebrity status. Uh, Not everybody can identify with it, but there are still lessons to take away from Mike Fisher and Carrie Underwood. You know, even
7: when I was writing that story, it really hit me because, you know, the part of their story that isn't always quite as public is they had a number of miscarriages. Mm. And that's part of the story we tell there. Um, my wife and I, we, we too had, had those, uh, that same, same journey. And so to be honest with you, that was one of the harder stories to write, mm-hmm. not because it was a hard story to communicate, but because I had walked many of those same steps. And that's the thing. Even with the, no matter how big someone's name is, um, they're still people. Yeah. And they still feel the same that we do. Um, theirs just shows up on Twitter.
2: Well, it's a, it's a great powerful book about what true love is all about. Doug Bender's book I Found Love. True Stories of Discovering Love, Belonging and Friendship. It is available right now. And for more inspiring stories on video, visit IAmSecond.com
1: Up next, Grammy Hall of Famer Don McLean and 50 years of his hit American Pie. Stay with Huckabee.
2: 50 years ago, Don McLean's American Pie album was released and the title song became a number one hit in the USA and four other nations, making him an international rock star. Follow-up international hits like Vincent and Crying led to over 20 successful world tours. American Pie was Don's magnum opus to rock and roll. It's a ballad that recalled the airplane crash of rock and roll's Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the big bopper J.P. Richardson. The song also captured America's cultural shift in the 60s. Tonight, we honor the 50th anniversary of American Pie and its singer and songwriter, Don McLean. Don. Thank you. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You know, this song has been interpreted by everybody who's ever heard it and they tried to figure out what you meant. I read something you said, I thought was beautiful. You said, don't overthink it, it's poetry. So have we overthought the lyrics to the song?
4: My idea was, and I have these ideas for songs that are really uh, almost like inventions. And what I decided was that politics and music influence each other going forward. Mm. So that's the idea of the song, that the music gives you the political world that you want. And the political world gives you back the music that you get. And it's oscillating and moving forward as society changes, as people become different um, because of time and all sorts of events, politics, whatever. I was up in this little room where I used to write songs, and I sang it to the tape recorder a long, long time ago. And it started all the way through to the day the music died. The I mean, whole, it just popped in your head? That head. whole thing. Wow. And I looked at it, it was like a genie that came out of a bottle. I said, whoa, you know, what is that? And I said, man, that is, I love this, you know? And I came up with the idea of American pie. And when I looked at those words together, I said, whoa, that looks great. You know, that's, that's perfect. That's exactly what I want. It's not apple pie and it's not America this, it's American pie. Hmm. And I thought, boy, that is so, so there I was, I was inspiring myself, you know? Well, you inspired a whole country and a whole what? world.
2: I mean, did you have any earthly idea that this song would take on a life of its own. Well, and 50 if, years later, it's still an iconic song that we listen to. If
4: you can imagine, my father was Scottish. My mother was Italian. And my father made $15,000 a year. And we lived in a nice house. And I went to college. I went to, I had a little time. We had a little beach club we belonged to. Good life on 15,000. Mm-hmm. That's how much money it was worth. That first year, I got handed a check for a million dollars. Whoa. And that Whoa. was in
2: 1971.
4: That's a lot of money in 1971. Y- yeah. You know what? That's a lot of money now. <laughs> and so it was so overwhelming. Wow. Uh, and I was always thinking about my father, mm. you know. First of all, what would he think about this, you know? Yeah. And that was just the start. You know, it's pretty fascinating. Of all the thousands
2: and thousands of songs that have been recorded throughout the entire century, American Pie was listed in the top five songs out of tens of thousands of songs, top five of the most influential songs of the entire century. That's a pretty big deal, Don.
4: A pretty big deal. (laughs) Well, it keeps coming back to what would my father think but <laughs> I think he'd be pretty doggone I think he probably tell you. me I should have had a, a real job but that's just <laughs> another story. When he saw that paycheck from American
2: Pie I think he probably
4: said <laughs> I think I would like to have been a singer songwriter myself. I I I I had a, a, a you know for a lot of years in New Rochelle, um I was a joke. You know, a guy who quit school and didn't make it a singer and I was Went back to school, you know, and people, <laughs> oh, him, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, recently in my hometown, they unveiled a, a 40 or 50 foot high mural on the side of a building, and it's me. Because <laughs> uh, Nurischel put up about 10 different murals, and they're all beautiful. And that's got to be and the greatest feeling in the oh, world to oh all those people that thought, once again, what? Don McLean will never say? make it.
2: Well, you did. <laughs> and you know what? The greatest evidence of you having made it is you're on my show and you're going to do American Pie with I us. am. I'm Does going it to Does it get any better than that? No. Can't wait. Uh, well, in a moment, Don is going to perform his 50-year-old hit, American Pie. But right now, here's Keith to tell you how you can get more of the music of Don McLean. For all
1: things Don McLean, including his October release of Still Playing Favorites and even your own signed Don McLean merchandise, go to his website, donmcclain.com, and listen to all of Don McLean's music on Spotify. Coming up after the break, Don McClain performs with Trey Corley in the Music City Connection with Mike on Bass as we celebrate 50 years of American Pie on Huckabee. Now, here to perform with Trey Corley at the Music City Connection with Mike on Bass, it's Don McLean!
8: <laughs> long, long time ago I can still remember how that music used to make me smile And I knew if I had my chance That I could make those people dance Maybe they'd be happy for a while. But February made me shiver with every paper i deliver. Bad news on the doorstep. I couldn't take one more step. I can't remember if I cried when I read about his widowed bride. But something touched me deep inside. The day the music died. So bye, bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. Them good. Whiskey and rye, saying, This will be the day that I die. This will be the day that I die. Did you write the book of love? Do you have faith in God above? If the Bible tells you so. me how to dance real slow Well I know that you're in love with him cause I saw you dancing in the gym You both kicked off your shoes I dig those rhythm and blues. I was a lonely teenage sprung and buck with a pink carnation and a pickup truck But I knew I was out of love the day Started singing, bye, bye, Miss American Pied Oh, my Chevy to the levee, the levee was dry Them good old boys are drinking whiskey and rhyme, Singing, this'll be the day that I die This'll be the day that I die Oh, we were all in one place A generation lost in space With no time left to start again so come on, Jack, be nimble, Jack, be quick. Jack Flash sat on his candlestick cause fire is the devil's only friend. Oh, and as I watched him on the stage, my hands were clenched in fists of rage. No angel born in hell could burn. sacrificial rite. I saw Satan laughing with delight the day the music died. He was singing bye, bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. The good old boys are drinking whiskey and rye and singing this will be the day that I die. This will be the day that I die. This American pie From my Chevy to the levee But the levee was dry Them good old boys Are drinking whiskey and rye Singing this'll be the day that I die